Our guest on episode two of the Interlogic Culture Series is rugby coach Jack Hanratty. Jack first worked in rugby dating back to 2008 with the professional team of Leinster Rugby in Ireland before moving to Canada in 2013. Jack is a world rugby educator and has coached the Canadian teams of U17 men, U18 men, U20 men, U20 women, and senior women. Jack is currently the head coach of Rugby Canada's U20 women's team. He's the head coach of Nova Scotia's senior men's and senior women's teams, and he's a Rugby Canada Academy coach. So Jack obviously has really deep roots in rugby, and rugby is a sport that's world-renowned for its appreciation of culture. Multiple best-selling books are based around this concept of of culture and rugby. You know, one of the most notable being this book called Legacy, uh, based on the New Zealand All Blacks. So I wanted to find out from Jack when he was first exposed to the strength and the value um, that the sport of rugby puts on the concept of culture. Yeah, so I'm I'm originally from Ireland, where I worked um for a professional rugby team they're called Leinster Rugby and when you usually say the the term I worked for a professional rugby team and um, people always think of like uh the, they Canadianize it so they think of the Habs or or the Blue Jays and and things like that and and Leinster would have been the um a very successful sporting brand so so to relate to Canadians right now it'd be like the Raptors they they've won the highest accolade they could and um, my job was the lowest of the law. Uh, I was on the ground doing a development officer and I realized that uh, within a few years of success coming to to Leinster Rugby, um, people looked at you differently while wearing the logo. And it was a very um, strange thing to be involved in because it was always uh, cool to be involved in sport and be always a development officer. It was cool to be a development officer involved in sport. Um, but when success came, people looked at you and affiliated you to the that starting 15 players, no matter how removed you were from it. And for me, I, I found that quite interesting. It was that it was it was the power of a logo, um, and that would have been like the first time of where I would have kind of been, I suppose, integrated into into a cultural environment, and it was. It was by chance. Um, like I got a, I got a job, and um, by chance I got involved in an organization through uh, defaults. To be, to be perfectly honest. Having been in Jack's training environment on multiple occasions, I know firsthand how much he's transferred this lesson that he just shared around the the power of of a brand, and the way that you can build culture around that into his own coaching. Um, the way that he arranges and kind of sets up his environment is super impressive in terms of the brand recognition, the logos on the walls. Um, something that really stuck out to me was this awesome logo where he kind of mixed together the, the Nova Scotia uh, rugby jersey with the Team Canada rugby jersey all in, in one sort of image to show that, you know, even though this is where we are today in Nova Scotia, this is where you're striving to be. And he really does an awesome job of this brand piece. So. Um, I also wanted to, to find out uh, from Jack, in, in addition to that piece, what's his, in his opinion, what kind of stands out as the most significant distinguishing factor in the sport of rugby when it comes to culture? What do they do so well um, in his mind that really defines this value? 
it, it is well known for, for its culture. And a lot of that is um, smaller nations in terms of population have embraced the sport of rugby, for instance, New Zealand. Um, and it's been their, their national sport. And, you know, not only New Zealand, but you look at um, Fiji, for instance, it's, a, it's a, such a small population and suddenly they're able to go to an Olympic Games and win a gold medal um, because it's something they take so seriously. But for me, the one thing that has never changed, and people always talk about, no matter what sport it is or organization it is, people always look at things and say, um, oh, it was, it was way better years ago and uh, we've, we've left our values or grassroots. I, I, I disagree. I think one of the, the constants in terms of rugby is that the level of respect shown to the officials is something that has started from day one that has never been questioned, that has never been, like every single, in rugby we have the laws of the game. We don't have rules of the game, we have the laws. So the laws are, are um, a referee can com, come in and adhere or want the players to adhere to the laws and the laws are open to interpretation. So it's not rules. So it's not saying you're breaking the rules. It's saying that I see the law in this way, which is very different from a lot of other sports. But the one thing that's just been such a constant involved, and especially like I've been involved in the game since, since a child, but I've worked in the game for 11 years. And one of the constants has, that has never changed is the respect to referees. So when a referee makes their decision, as soon as that has been done, if you react in a poor way from moment one that I've been involved, but go back years and years and years, if you react poorly or what the referee feels is a, a, a poor gesture or comment or even body language, they can move the penalty closer to, to your try line. So the, uh, so the opposition have more room to go up the field. And that has never changed. And every coach and the greatest coaches that I look at and, you know, aspire to be, they always try and, and, you know, use the laws as different adaptations to it. But what one thing that has never been done, and I don't think, and fingers crossed, will never, is the way players, coaches actually address an official or a referee. It's one of, for me, it's one of the most special things uh, about the game. And you can, you can still disagree with decisions, but you know that if how you react will actually lead to, to something negatively on the field. So it sounds like Jack is saying that there's a whole lot of emotional control in rugby players. People seem to be able to, to manage their impulses, you know, to not act in disrespectful ways, to communicate, you know, in the heat of a, a really challenging moment, maybe a frustrating moment. In, you know, in some cases you might even be furious, angry. Um, yet despite all of that, people are still acting kind of in alignment with this core value of respect for referees. So. Uh, I was, you know, I wanted to figure out um, from Jack's perspective is what's more powerful? Is it the individual mental skills of rugby players that seems to be, uh, you know, so enhanced by this cultural norm? Or is there some sort of accountability, uh, social accountability from coaches or players or uh, some other force that, you know, teaches people early on that this is how you do things around here? That's a really good question. I, I was presenting on the relationships between coaches and referees a few weeks ago. 
and it was myself and a, a top level referee uh, in Canada. And it was a re- really interesting conversation because it was looking at how do coaches approach these situations with players to react to officials and how do officials, you know, how do they greet if somebody's questioning one of their calls before or after a game? But, but one of the questions that I received was, um, how do you teach your players to interact with the officials? And I said, you don't. And they were saying, why? Why did, like, you, you know, you just presume that it happens. I said, listen, in all my years, very seldom do I see a player react incredibly poorly. You'll get it the odd time where someone just reacts or swears. And like swearing on a rugby field, that will be noted and you'll go over. But we get people to, to get involved in our sport uh, later in Canada than you would in other countries. So you could be 15, 16, trying a sport for the first time. You might have played tons of uh, different other sports. But when you come on, the best teachers are the other players. Because as soon as someone reacts poorly uh, or says a swear word, the coach doesn't need to do anything. Because the other players, and I've had so many experience, so much experience with, with this exact moment, where the other players will just turn to that player and say, we don't do that here. So for me, it, it's a value. Like if, if you go through, and there's not a lot of, I wouldn't say there's a lot of sports that athletes know their value, know the values of the sport. Like what is the vision of the sport or the values of the sport? Because in sport, similar to business, you have values and you have visions. But in, in rugby, we quote it and we use it quite regularly. And it's a way that we introduce the sport. So there's two values which come to note and we see it all the time is discipline and respect. And for us, the values is a constant. So for me as a coach, if the players can deal with that situation, how much better is that for me? Because then it's, then it's not, it's not me. It's not being shut down. It's not me telling it's, Hey, welcome to our environment. That's not what we do here. So through Jack's experiences in rugby, he's had the chance to work with some truly world-class leaders and coaches. So I wanted to find out from Jack, in his opinion, what separates the best of the best, the best leaders he's ever worked with, with those who are just average? Two words that would shoot shoot out to me straight away would be uh, consistency. And so having a, I I learned a lot from, um, I, I went, got involved with the Canada U18 men's program and um, the head coach is a controversial figure. People, you either he's like Maramite in Australia, you either love him or you hate him. And uh, we lost a game that we, one of those ones where you read articles about yourself and um, one, of the, one of the lines was, we were in France playing Belgium. And one of the lines was, Canada just lost their first ever game to Belgium in their history. Um, these coaches, naming all of us, need to be on a plane removed as soon as possible. I remember reading that and he, like the sinking feeling. And uh, he was the head coach, and it was his first year as head coach of, this, of, of a national team program. And um, so it was pretty tough for him. Um, his demeanor did not change whatsoever. He was completely consistent. He would, and 
for me, that was just such a, a really nice thing is because by his voice and his process not changing through what was, I mean, we played really poorly and, I, but we could have ended up winning the game, but we wouldn't have learned. We would have just gone, all right, we got, got away there. But we were, we all read these articles, we're upset. And the next morning the, at breakfast, uh, he just gets up and says, right, what, what's our plan for today? What did we agree at the start of the week? Was our plan for today? Uh, today is a, a day off. Yeah, what are we going to do? We're on sightseeing around France. Yeah, nothing changes. So, guys, we're all disappointed. Um, and we'll look at that tonight. And that's that's our job. Today is our job to, you know, uh, recover, re-energize, no matter what the result was. And then our review process didn't change whatsoever. And for me, that, that was just so, so comforting. Because I knew I, I was coaching one aspect of the game that truly let us all down. It was, it was really bad. My job was for us to score points, and we didn't score points. And, and that's, that's, that was my role. So we didn't live up to it. And, and I always said to myself that if your one job is to serve ice cream and you don't serve ice cream, well, then I don't know what you're doing there. And so my one job was to, for the team to score points, and we didn't score points. So why am I still doing here? But his, his clear belief and his clear understanding of, of being consistent in our process was the way that the players could feel comfortable in failure, the coaching staff could feel comfortable in failure, because I felt that he knew that all of our feeling of it, knowing that it wasn't enough, he didn't need to tell us. He did not need to shout at us as a staff. He did not need to shout at the players. But what a, it was a learning that we all knew this feeling. We didn't want this feeling again. And our process went better. And it ended up that by the time we went into our final game, it was the middle game, we were just feeling so much confidence, which probably would lead, lead into my, my second most important piece is trust. Uh, for me, the, like, and what a great time at the moment where people can listen to webinars, watch every sporting documentary on everything. Um, and you, you, I always look for consistencies, like what are the consistencies in the environment? And for me, one of them is always with the staff is trust. And I've had some experiences where I didn't feel trusted. Uh, and I've had some experiences where um, the, the coaches in the environment didn't trust each other. And it was almost look out for yourself. And I remember thinking that this is the, like, why is it a poor environment? Why did I have a poor experience? And that was because people didn't trust each other. And if you don't trust each other, you don't leave yourself open for developing. You don't leave yourself open for criticism. Um, and and that, that to me is probably those, those two things of consistency and trust are the, most, the two most important things in it for me in any high-performance environment. So Jack obviously puts a super high value on trust. But trust is known as sort of this infamously ambiguous, difficult to pin down uh, group skill. Um, so I wanted to find out from Jack, what does he do? What kind of formula or what methods does he use to actually build and foster trust in his environment? How do we make this practical? To build up the trust, especially in staff, um, we would always have a consistent preview and review. So... Um, Preview all together and review all together. 
I think a big one is being pretty open and transparent about something that maybe wasn't your best. I think that, that, that to me generates trust is instead of defending it or instead of saying, uh, oh, the players didn't do this today. Like, I think that's a, a, such an easy aspect. If you're reviewing a training session or a game, like I was a very, I was a very young head coach and I spent my entire time, especially when you're coaching on your own, deflecting. Boom, boom, boom. It's a great. No, that was your fault. Yeah, that's fine. I'll do. Yeah, that was your fault. And I think as I got older, you, you almost get and not older, but as you get more experience, because I was such a young coach that I really hope that every more people get that opportunity to be a young head coach. I think it's like such an incredible, incredibly lucky thing to that that and it certainly developed me in a big way. But the experiencing is massive. So being in the environments is huge. So for for me, building building trust is when we come to that review, if there's an elephant in the room, and there always is, about a training session or about a game, there's always an elephant in the room that you don't want to talk about. And for me, if I'm the head coach, I'm steering the conversation. I don't want to address the elephant in the room. I'd love to see if that can happen automatically. So will somebody kind of go, all right, let's, what do we want to talk about during our review today? Will someone say, we, we won zero lineups. That's my role. I have an idea how to fix it. Or we won zero lineups. I'm not really sure where it went wrong. I'm open to other people giving feedback. Because that's, that's a huge thing is that in, in rugby and in sport, we always specialize in a certain aspect of the game. But a specialization doesn't mean that you're just because you're leading something doesn't mean that you're not an assistant in every other aspect in the game. And sometimes people look to, and I always look at football because football is, it's all, it's, it's so different because in football, um, attack, defense, kicking, it's all so separate and it's all such different players that it's almost like, well, we've done our job over here, but in rugby, we use the same people. So we have to be adaptable in every piece. We've got the same players that do every single role on the field. So with coaching, I want that to be the same. I want that to be the same feeling. So can you be adaptable? Can you be acceptance of of that little bit of guidance and help? And being open in that environment is huge. It's, it's, It's massive. So Jack is really well known in the coaching community as someone who's super skilled, at building great culture. So I thought this was an awesome opportunity to ask him what his process is. What's your method? How do you go about changing or creating great culture and sustaining it as a high performance coach? It's funny. I think about this a lot because, um, we're, you know, we're in, we're in COVID times and, and, um, I don't know the next time that I'm going to coach. Um, realistically, because we've had so many, cancelled competitions i mean i think flights alone i've had 42 flights cancelled this summer like these are this so this is something i I think about a lot is hey when is the next time and what am i going to do in that first time because for me if you come in with with huge energy into an environment and again similar to that consistency piece that better be consistent so i'm a high energy guy so if i walk into a place with huge energy if people like this and are a magnet towards this, you you better be able to keep that going consistently the whole way through. And I've seen a lot of people that arrive into environments with huge, big ideas and here's what we're going to do. But are we actually able to 
continue this from moment one to the end. Because if you do get buy-in from a group of athletes, they want buy-in, they want proof of it. The first thing that I would do is no matter, because culture is one of those words, sometimes at some stage it was a bad word recently that people were like, oh, don't say culture too often. It was uh, for some reason. I don't know why. I don't agree with it. But for me, every organization has a culture. Like, so it's not, it's not whether they don't have a good culture. Everyone has a culture. So for, for me, um, if I'm going into somewhere that has been, that a group of people have been working towards winning a championship together or not getting relegated or something, there's still a culture there. So I'd like to find out what that is. Um, so the first thing that I would like to do is, is I'd go into an environment and just do a lot of little breakouts about the why. Like, what are they, why, what's their purpose? What are they actually doing there? What is their goal? And for me, um, in, in rugby, you could have a couple of different goals. You could have, I'm a, I want to earn a living. Like, that's it. That's the only reason why I'm here, is that this is the best thing that, I'm, that I can do. I'm just here to earn a living. But for me, that's not the right attitude that I want involved in my, in my um, environment. There might be someone else that says, well, I want to play for my national team. And that's why I'm here and that's why I play for this team. Well, that, that I can deal with. Because for you to be on a national team or to go further, that's still a, well, this needs to be successful for you to do it. Because you're still trying to move up. For someone else, it's, uh, I want to win this league title. That is the be all and end all. I want to do that. So although the two whys mightn't be the same, those last two, they would actually be so linked that we can we can merge that together, and that can that can be part of our purpose. So that's that's kind of the first thing that I would do. Every organization for me has has values, and um, can you can you ask them what they are? I would always I would always ask, hey, what what are your values? And then my, my next question is always, how did, you, how did you live them today? So one of the things that, we, that I would really like to do is, I'm not a, I wouldn't go into an environment and change their values. I would, I would relook at them, see if they're still applicable to this time. And then for that, first, for that first while that I'd be in charge, I would look for proof of them. So we would, we would revisit it every day to see how were you living a particular value today? And allow that to be seen as, because if you come in with, here's our values now, I've never been here before, but here's the values that I want this organization to believe in. I don't, I don't think that, that gets you on, the, on that trust with, with the players straight away. So I wasn't surprised at all to hear Jack talk about core values. Core values are, you know, kind of a buzz phrase or a buzz strategy right now in the space of culture development. And there's tons of evidence supporting that, and they, they can be really effective. But in my experience, I've actually seen values do more harm than they do good in some cases, because the process is superficial. It just ends up as words on a wall, and you know, no one really follows through to any sort of, any sort of meaningful degree in which behavior change actually takes place within the group. When that happens, you know, people lose faith in the process. They feel like things are just kind of being half-baked. Um, and everything can fall apart around that, even though the intentions were probably pretty good. So I was curious and I wanted to find out from Jack, as a high performance coach, how do you get values from just words on a wall 
to something that your entire group is living and breathing every single day in your environment? I think the first thing that we should do, especially in sports, with our values is at the very start of the season or the very start of your campaign or the very start of understanding the why of your organization, if we have a word, we've got to show well, what does that look like? Because we have to have the ability to recognize what a value is. Um, we have a few, we are in terms of our values with my, my teams, you know, the, the coach, depending on the age group and where it is, the coach might have an idea of the values, but if, if you haven't adopted them as a full group, if it's just words on paper that's given to you, it's not something that I think will be, will be used in the 78th minute in a world cup final to try and, to try and win it. So, so there, we've got to either try and find a way of players to uh, create and develop because they are so much part of the, part of the organization, or you've got to find reasons for adoption reasons for you really taking on board what these words are and then by using that and by identifying what these words look like both and this is a big one both on and off the field it's not just on on one piece of it and like it's it's funny in sport a lot of people say well when you're wearing the logo it's really important you act like this but for me like well, not really. If you're involved in my organization at any stage, no matter what logo you're wearing, there are, there'll always be times that hopefully you're, you're believing in these values because uh, realistically and with, with the world right now is you can say all the right, right things, but you know, if you take off the jersey and you go home, you're not living these values or you're, you're on social media and you're being public with, with, by not displaying the values, that's, that's a moment for, for things not to go right. And that, that's one of the things that we try and address all the time as well. When we talk about our values and we're, when we talk about how do we show our values, we, we always say, this is how it looks like. But we also do another activity of, this is how it, it doesn't look like we're living up to our values. Because we, we, it's always a great thing to show, hey, this is what success looks like. Yeah, that's what we're all aiming for. These are the words. These are the how wonderful it looks like when we're all in our jersey and we're all doing, doing things. But again, I always go back to that elephant in the room. If the elephant sneaks up on you, I think there's, there's a real issue there. So one of the things that's always really impressed me about Jack's coaching is his ability to engage in outside-of-the-box thinking. So he's really skilled at utilizing ideas from other contexts and making them fit and become super effective and commonplace in his context as a rugby coach. Um, I was recently reading a, a, a part of article on creativity and the science of creativity. And one of the big takeaways for me from the article was the fact that it's very rare for something to be truly innovative or new. And that in most cases, creativity follows Jack's method where um, things from new contexts outside of your own are looked at in a different way, used in a different way, put a new lens on something that fits in the context that you're in and, and it's perceived as creative, but it didn't have a truly original origin. So I wanted to find out from Jack or at least get him to, to share a story around uh, one of his favorite examples of engaging in this outside of the box thinking, being creative, searching for things outside of his context and applying them and making them fit and become super effective 
in his high performance rugby environment. For and I, I've got I've been really lucky that I've got to go and see lots of different environments and um like even I, I used to be heavily involved in amateur dramatics and I I came here and nobody really knew that and still don't so let's hope this doesn't go viral. Um but I a, a guy who I um coached briefly just a guest session um he asked me if we we go for a, a beer after a training session so i did i, I went with uh, five or six guys from a rugby club and i i just done a session and um he 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 found how i coached very interesting he said it was he said it was almost theatrical and i said well yeah i would certainly call myself a bit theatrical it's probably my my drama background and he said oh my god i'm i'm a director in halifax of a of a um a theater company excellent company 2b studios and um he asked me would i come down because he was doing a uh, show with an irish accent and he, he they couldn't get it so he said would you mind coming and uh, trying to teach the irish accent I said, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. I said, How great is that? So I ended up getting to go in. And the thing that people forget is that we always think that rugby coaching is so specialized. Well, it's not. Um, it, it, it's just the sport is a specialty, but the process isn't. So I got to go in there and I got to watch him be a, a coach because a director is another word for coach. And then I ran a dialect uh, training session. How did I plan it? I planned it exactly how I would plan a meeting with players. I wanted it to be fun. I wanted it to be purposeful. I wanted it to be active. I wanted it to be short. And I wanted it to be a safe environment where people could, could fail and experience. Because if you think about things, if someone's failed in a pass or a tackle or a kick, it's a, quite a, it's a tough thing to do. And I was in this environment and they didn't know who I was. And as actors, they were doing an act. They were trying to mimic my accent. Like what an embarrassing thing to get wrong. But, but, but by creating the environment of being safe and all I did was the first thing I did was I did a poor Canadian accent. Listen, I'm going to do my Canadian accent. And for the rest of today, I'll do my Canadian accent and you do your Irish accent. As soon as it's a laugh, it's a joke, but it's a safe environment. And we're both trying to do things. So that, that, that for me is like just completely outside the box with, and it all, it only came from me being excited to, to go and learn things. I went, I went to Italy on a professional development tour and I walked in and the first page I had, I was there for seven days or, or two weeks maybe. And the, the first page I had loads of things and I had a big list of things. It was almost like a wish list. And I, when I was reflecting that night, I was like, We're, I'm never going to get these in my environment in Nova Scotia. Like, why, why am I writing this down? So I tried to change that. and tried to say that it wasn't my wish list. What, what can be the equivalent in Nova Scotia? And for me there, they were, had, had the entire place branded in their, it's a, a, a small place called Treviso, a beautiful place in Italy, but they're, their branding was everywhere in this facility. And they don't, they're not the wealthiest rugby club in the world by, by no means, but they took whatever they could and they put the logo on it and the branding. 
And the, se the sense of pride there was truly incredible. So for me, when I came back, we went to the store and we printed uh, logos for everything, stickers, posters, and we put them on everything that we, we used. And the environment, it was a complete game changer for us because if you walk into a, and let's say we have two hours in a gym on a Monday morning. So on a Monday morning, the players walk in, they use the gym, they leave, the next team comes in. It doesn't really feel like yours. It doesn't really feel like you take an ownership of it. So as soon as what we did was we just put flags, posters up, all, and fo photographs of players playing the highest level for Canada. So things that they were aspiring. And it was nice to be able to do that. What we also did was we put their words up there because at the start of our, our process of, of our academy was what, what's your outcome? Like, what are you looking to do? So by putting their own words somewhere where it can be seen, it takes away that, that, that um, tough energy by me coming over saying, hey, like, you know, is your, is your effort there today? Because that can be a difference of opinion. But if I can go over to an athlete and say, are you aspiring to your goal right now? And you can point to the goal. Players are looking at something that they've created. And that to me is, is, is so much different. With, and, and it's been a, a real positive thing for us. And that was something just so easy. Print the logo, print some posters, print their own words. Does, doesn't cost any money. But I tell you, it certainly created, it was our environment. It belonged to us. And it served as a purpose for our players to achieve their goals. The one thing that we always, we, we always do as well is we celebrate success. So if we have a player that is going on their first national tour, we make sure at the end of the training session, we make a deal with them. And we'll name them. We'll say where they're going, what they're doing and that they're going on their first international tour, and we'll do a massive round of applause. We do that if someone's going on their 50th national tour. Because what happens is, is that sometimes, and I've been reading a few things, but, but so, sometimes people get a little bit complacent about, um, about wearing the national jerseys, or they become sometimes a little bit entitled. So we want to make sure that they feel special getting every jersey, but there is no sense of entitlement. If we do it the first time, we must do it the 13th or, or 20th time because we've got to make sure that they understand that they are continuing or they must continue to work hard, but also that it, we, we all see it as, a, as an inspiration, I guess, as well. So something that I know a lot of high-performance coaches um, you know, struggle with that kind of crosses over between sport and business is this ability to get really good information, really good data um, in the form of feedback and debriefing and whatnot. Um, however, without, you know, creating this cold kind of bureaucratic impersonal vibe. And, you know, Jack is someone who I know kind of toes uh, the line quite well. He, he's really good at the balancing act between, you know, keeping that rapport and trust with his players while also getting the information that he needs in order to learn and grow and, and move forward. With the group so i wanted to figure out um you know what's his process of of reflecting what's his process of, of gathering information and feedback um and how does he kind of balance that 
um, against you know the personal side and the interpersonal connections that he has with his people and with his athletes. Uh, having a self-assessment tool is always just absolutely crucial and we, we try and do it in our staffs as much as possible and I remember we had such a strong staff environment with the Canada U20 program that afterwards I sent a, a self-review and I asked five or six questions and I did it on email I said hey everybody thank you so much for your participation this year here's a bit of a self-reflection uh, piece please get back to me and then it'll be our conversation that we'll have and one of the coaches was so comfortable in our environment that phoned me and said are you being watched and i was like no like what what do you mean said like a like a, do you need a like an email thread or something like no she said well what you just sounded so official like usually that's just something that we would talk about we do and i was like oh okay so all of our, I had changed and that was a learning for me is that I had had a one environment uh, for practice previews, reviews and reflection on tour. And then suddenly we're finished tour and we're finished the season. And so I'm not an email guy. And suddenly I send an email and everyone's a little bit like, well, this is different. So like, how can we, how can we take uh, consistencies through, through our process with, with reviewing to go through? I, I build a, a fairly substantial rapport with my players. I try and do it every day. I try and find out one interesting fact about them that if we're stuck, I, I think this is a big thing. If you ever get stuck in an elevator with a player, you've got to have something to be able to talk about that's not rugby. That to me is a huge, a huge thing that you've got to have and, and something that I try and certainly live up to or, or live with as much as possible. Um, and with that, if I'm doing a review, if I do it over email, that's not me. That's not the environment that I've created. It's not, it's not consistent and it's not in keeping with, with the trust that I've tried to build. So I might send an email of these are the questions that we're going to talk, but then I'll try and do it over zoom or I'll try and do it over WhatsApp uh, or FaceTime or something or a phone call because they don't know me as a person in writing. They always know me as the verbal person and the person that will will I suppose in an environment if it's getting too serious I'll make sure that we have a bit of a laugh uh, because I think that that those those intimidating atmospheres of review and development let's try and keep it in that in that fun space or in that not not even fun space but in the space that you've already created don't make it so different that it, it grows the intimidation by so Jack clearly values connectivity. He clearly, you know, puts a lot of intentional thought into the balancing act between getting the feedback, the data that is, you know, is needed while, while also maintaining rapport. Um, so I wanted to kind of take this a step further and figure out, well, if connectivity and the relationships are such an important piece of the puzzle, what do you do on a daily basis? Like what's a simple activity or signal or something that happens in his environment um, that builds that in kind of micro doses to the point where, you know, you just live in this culture of connectivity where everybody values being connected and feeling those strong relationships between each other. The greatest ever Irish rugby coach is the guy that I look at, Joe Schmidt is his name, and he's, he's taught me a lot about culture. He's, he's introduced me to, which is something that I've stolen, is the handshake before training. It's a very French thing. 
but I love it. So with my men's teams, I always did the handshake before training. And that's like, we're getting to work. You make eye contact. It's a physical touch. Can't do it right now. But when you arrive in and you shake the hand, it's like a, I, you've greeted everybody. And, and we did it as a staff and, they, and the players always do it. And when I coach a, a, a women's team and I love this, I want to take this, I want to bring it. I said, we're going to do a handshake before training. And one of my senior players said, I've never shook a hands with my coach in my entire life. And I don't shake hands with my teammates. And I was suddenly like, oh, this isn't something natural. So, so I changed it and said, right, I don't care what it is. I just want a signal to say that we are, we're, we're both here and we're both ready to go. And that's, that's something that I, we do all the time. So you, you'll notice a lot of, and what's incredible is I've got players that I've coached and haven't coached in years that I'll see them and we'll do the weird handshake that was the U20s back in 2000 and whatever. But that was, that was our handshake at the time. And, and they still, cause, and, and as soon as you do that handshake, it takes you back to that, to that moment and it takes you back to what we, were, what we were trying to do and it takes you back to the environment, which I think is great. But, but on that Irish coach, um, there's a, a famous kind of anecdote that says, yeah, the handshake was always a real positive, but they, players would always dodge him in the corridor. And I always was like, why are they dodging him in the corridor? Because he's such a detailed coach. They would dodge him in the corridor that every time he saw him in the corridor, he always had something rugby to talk to you about. Oh, Connor, come over here and ask a question. And he would, he would not in a bad way, because it's still, he's still coaching in a really great way, but the players knew that they were never off. And suddenly there was no laugh, there was no anything. So for us, we, like, we always do a sheriff during our, our tours and we have tour rules that the players and the staff come up with if you're late for meetings if you forgot your book or your water bottle or if you didn't clean your plate wash your kit or wear the right thing there's a, there's rules and there's consequences if you don't live up to rule and we have a sheriff that are that's always a player and then you have different uh, consequences and the staff have got to do this so uh this year i remember we hadn't gelled that, that quickly, as quickly as we had in other years with our U20s. And um, I was fined for, for leaving my speaker at the training ground. And let me tell you, boys, I'll be fully honest and say that I gave my speaker because I felt we needed a bit more music. Gave to one of the players said, here, you have this for the two weeks. And... I was fined at the meeting and I knew well that I had my out. And I remember the assistant coach looking at me and just goes, practice what you preach. And I was fined that day to, to take a spoon which had uh, pepper, ketchup, mustard, something absolutely deplorable, a raw egg or something as well. And I just remember the other coaches just going, this is this is it now you either because this is this is you either back it up and do it or you can make your excuse and i remember just thinking yeah this is the moment where nobody else will remember it but i know that it'll stick out for me for quite a while so like most great leaders i i know jack is a big subscriber to the infinite game of learning um, you know, he's one of those people that is constantly trying to, to improve himself and find new ways to do things. He, you know, he never stands still. And that's one of the things that I really love about being in Jack's environment. 
Um, so I wanted to figure out from Jack, what, what's something that you're working on right now? What, what's currently on your plate or on the front of your mind in terms of personal growth and development for you, Jack, the head coach? My uh, process has really improved. Um, I, I felt like I, I'm, I'm one of these great people that can be reactive in tough situations. So if a training session isn't getting the outcomes that, uh, that we're not getting, I feel like I can adapt it really quickly on the fly to get what we want. But the problem is by doing that, you're making other coaches either feel not relevant, not part of the process. And so it, it may, yeah, sure. It can make me look good and I can come up with something and I know that I can get what I want, but is that creating the learning for the environment? So for me, it's, uh, one of my big kind of development thing is I feel my processes is really improved and I do, um, I'm a world rugby educator. So I teach a lot of coaching courses and coach uh, mentorship and things like that but I need to be consistent. So I need to be consistent in times of where we're not getting it. What a great learning. If you have a bad training session, that's okay. Like, like let's use it to the fix. And for me as a head coach, because I'm, 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 an, I'm an assistant coach with the senior women's team and I'm head coach of the U20s. So I get full control of one environment and I get, at, I, I'm a line soldier in another. So, as a line soldier, I'm going to be reactive and I'm going to do what, what our coaches want uh, to, because I want him to trust me as well. But in the, in the U20 environment, uh, I have to take a step back. There is going to be days where I will not coach, which is my most favorite thing in the world. But I can keep us consistent and I can keep, us, uh, I can keep our, our process going. And that's something that I, I really need to improve on is if I've I, – I was a poor planner. I'm still not brilliant at it, but I can plan. And I know that it's a weakness, so I definitely do it. But keeping that plan consistent throughout and keeping the process consistent, because as soon as you have a failure or a loss and you change your process and you swipe it clean, the players then notice how much of a failure this was, way more so than if you have a loss, but you keep your process the same and you just, you just try and tweak a few things. And that, that, I think that to me is, is probably a, a big learning. So personality profiling is, is one of the, the pieces that we've included in the Interlogic product. And we've included it because we firmly believe that um, being able to improve your self-awareness of your own natural tendencies is a huge opportunity for growth. And so on, that note i wanted to figure out or i wanted to find out um from jack uh, what parts of his natural wiring what parts of his just you know uh, kind of hardware or his uh you know built-in personality conflicts the most with what he's asked to do as a high performance coach um or at a minimum you know causes him the most amount of reflection or you know presents him with the most challenges as he's trying to execute his job as a head coach at a super high level. I'm the guy at the back of the bus and I'm the guy at, um, in meetings will, will like, I'll know when there's a joke there and I'm going to take it. Uh, and, uh, that is great in some aspects and it's great when you're having a laugh with your friends or when you're having a social situation with your staff, it's brilliant because you can be that, that funny person, uh, but 
I've always noticed that when you're coaching, it has a tendency to make things more about you. Uh, like if you're the funny guy, if you drop that laugh, it's okay being a, a teammate and doing that. And, uh, and I, I certainly would do that in certain situations. But uh, when you're a leader and a coach, you're not a leader if you're controlling the conversation the entire time, which I always do. And a lot of that I think came from, I, I've been a lone wolf with Rugby Nova Scotia for a very long time. And only recently did we get new staff staff to be to be in and, and one of the pieces of feedback that I certainly got from other staff is we don't always know what's going on in your head uh, because I've never had to explain myself because I've always known what I'm doing so being able to and that's it uh, that's certainly a, a part of my personality that that I've had to kind of take a little bit back is is you don't just have to explain it to yourself you have to explain it to everybody so that they know what's going on and also you don't like if you control the conversation the entire time, you might feel like an entertainer, but you're not a coach because you're tr- a coach is a teacher and you're trying to teach things. So if you control the conversation the whole time, how are you actually, what are you teaching? Mm, that was a tough moment of realization for me. <laughs> I, I just, I feel like you just, pinpointed something that makes me feel uncomfortable as I go to bed when I'm when I'm away like with with the team but I never really knew why because it's like there's a part of me that's like oh that was so you know I I'm happy that people enjoyed when I said that or or that thing right but then there's like another side of it that's like but I hated that it was all about me in that moment and that's not it's exactly what you said that's not leadership. That's not humility. That's not empowering anybody else. That's but just there is a, funneling. There is a huge moment always on, on tour, which is funny because I've got an assistant coach that um, is a former Olympian and she will be, uh, she will go as far as she wants to. She'll be the first senior women's female head coach of Canada. No doubt. She'll, she'll, she can coach senior men's world cup. Like she'll, she'll do whatever she wants. She's an incredible coach. But, and I always went, she was the first person that I hired as the U20 coach, which was like, we had never worked together. So people were like, like, that's weird. But I'd seen her be a captain and I'd seen her inspire so many people that I was like, if you want to be a coach, I would love to work with you. So please, please be that inspiring Canadian female athlete that I'm not like what a we can, I'm an experienced coach. You're not. And you're somebody that's been there done it, won an Olympic medal. Let's, let's combine that. But there is always moments where, um, she finds the public speaking thing quite tough. And if, if there is a bit of a energy sapping day and we're in another meeting or something like that, there is always moments where she will look at me and go, you need to lift it up. And there, and that's one thing that you don't ever want to forget either is that, is that we can always accept questions, push back questions or accept things and push it. Well, what, what will we do as a group? There's always time for that. And it's a fantastic process. We've always got to know the time for an exception. And I think that that's a huge thing in the coaching world is that sometimes there's a lot of uh, cookie cutter coaches. So they've learned all the new fads. They know all the right questions to ask. Well, how did that make you feel? Like, 
and that's great. But there's times where you just have to be yourself, be your personality. And if I wasn't allowed to be my personality to an extent, I wouldn't enjoy coaching because it wouldn't be me. And I think that that's it. That's it. A huge thing with it. And that was last year. We had this exact opportunity and our, our learning process and review process was really strong. And I was really happy with it. But last year we were in England and it was the biggest, uh, heat waves that England had had for 40 years. So it was so hot. So anyway, we, we found one room in England, because there's no air conditioning, found one room in a hockey building, field hockey building, that was air conditioned. So we got, we, we walked the, probably a kilometer and a half to get there. We go up and it's the, it's the night before England game. So we're doing a, we're doing a review of ourselves. We're doing a preview of the opposition. The air conditioning shuts off. The power goes out. And it was just like, what do we do? And I remember Kelly looking at me just going, this is all you. This is what you were born to do. You get to be adaptable. You get to be entertaining. And everybody needs it right now. So do whatever you want to do. And it was one of those things where you just kind of went, right, okay, this is the time where you can be a person. You can be a personality. And, and that, was, that was kind of one of those, the last times that we, we had to do that. Man, you have some truly golden nuggets. I will Good. give you that. And I do not say that lightly. <laughs> there, um, yeah, there's very, I, I think there's very few people who, uh, I, I think you do two things really well. One, um, you create your own stories by who you are and the mix of personality and professionalism. And then most importantly, is you remember them <laughs> Be, because you see them as moments of value. Like you have enough, uh, you have so much awareness on how all these things matter that it's not like these things are just happening to you. And it's, you know, it's Jack's flying through time as a coach. It's very obvious that, you know, some of the answers that you give to these questions, which, you know, were not sent to you in advance are, are super snappy, but you know, in the, I would guess in the top one, two or three of what you could have possibly conjured had I given you five days. Sure. So it's uh, yeah, there, there's going to be so much good um, content from this. I'm just going to hit stop on the recording.